I V M. You don't have to have been born with a silver spoon. I think the context of first-generation entrepreneurs here in India is still very rare, and that's why people don't step out into that outing. And not one of those things that if you can dream it, it'll happen. I don't think it works that way because there's a lot in between that can go wrong and does go wrong. Absolutely, does go wrong. But um, I think if you have that conviction in yourself hmm. and that confidence in yourself, that's the one that that's the best piggy bank you can have. When he was a teenager, one of the many things that Ronnie Scruvala tried to make money from was to conduct a rock concert at Shanmugandan Hall with two other friends. The show was a big success, but having sold only half the auditorium tickets and overspent on the audience experience, they ended up with over fifty thousand rupees in the red. This story doesn't sit well on one of the most celebrated entrepreneurs in this country, but Ronnie recalls it fondly in his book. He even calls this. one of the most impactful moments in his entrepreneurial career purely for the invaluable lessons that he learned from that for roni the high is not in being the media baron that he was until recently or in producing cinema that defined pop culture for an entire generation for him the high is the entrepreneurial journey itself and that is what drives him to start a fresh innings even at this stage in his career or host a podcast about it on the ivm network his book Dream with your eyes open is a fascinating read, and it celebrates the entrepreneurial spirit of this country. A must-read, irrespective of whether you're starting up or you're just a leader in the corporate world. My first memory of Ronnie is when I was in school, and we used to watch the show Alpha Quiz, which later on came to be known as Contact on Doordarshan. I was really taken by this sprightly youngster hosting a very unique quiz show that involved an obstacle race as well as a regular quiz. From there, Ronnie had shaped many different elements in the pop culture that I grew up within. I've learned to admire him as one of the greatest entrepreneurs of my time. So, for me to host him on the Filter Coffee podcast is nerve-wracking and inspiring at the same time. But I can't wait to get a glimpse into the mind behind this entrepreneur. Welcome to the Filter Coffee podcast. Oh, hi. Nice to be here. It's it's a great honor to have you. I want to start by asking you You've done so many things, and just in some terms of number of things, right? And if someone would have achieved fifty percent of this, would have been considered a fairly successful life, right? How do you conquer time? So I think the two aspects: how do you conquer time on a twenty-four hour basis, and how do you conquer time when you're looking at different things over a period of your life? And there are two different compartments there. But I think just to comment on your first statement, where you think you know, a you've done multiple things. But you know, if you look at them and, and narrow them down, there as an entrepreneur, yes, you look at different opportunities. A fair amount of my first innings has been anything, and everything connected with the media space, with the sole exception of toothbrushes. But in some yeah. form or the other, all roads have led to companies where I can build brands, company where the consumer is at the center, and building scalable businesses. And I think that's been the common theme there. But um, I think time management, a lot of it happens uh, with colleagues, team members, and co-founders. Mm. and to me that's very very important it's also the way and the way you want to to interact how you want to be 
And I think there are many days on which I feel I want to look at things from a macro point of view. And then there are a couple of days when you need to feel it from a micro point of view. Mm. But I think if you want to be able to look at time management, uh, there isn't a simple answer. Right. But I think the quality of the team, the co-founders and the mandate and the absolute equality with which you work with people makes a big difference. Because then there's a lot that can work together. Second, I think this whole context of clock, we look at it in very different extremes because whenever you look at that, there's either the extreme of what a Jack Ma would say and has been this sudden rhetoric of his being six days a week working or the other ones who want work-life balance. Right. But I think if you're enjoying what you're doing, um, this there's no such finely defined line as a work-life balance, genuinely. I think it's just an overhyped situation, an overhyped debate that needs to have some interviews yeah. on, but it's a little overhyped. Where I was coming from was, uh, you know, my, my first introduction to, to Ronnie was, uh, many people might not even remember this, is the Alpha Quiz, uh, which I was a big fan of. Right. And, and, it was and, called Contact at that time. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I yeah. forget. Yeah. That entire format was, was very unique, right? Where yeah. I think there was a physical as well as yep. an intellectual yeah. thing, right? And, and from there, you know, uh, every, every step of you as an entrepreneur, you know, when, when we look at it from the outside, we were like, wow, this, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then it, it just keeps going, right? Where I was coming from was, uh, you know, when, when you look at priorities, uh, whether it is, like you said, in, in a day or the ideas that you want to see actually come to life, yeah. what you can, cannot do, etc. You know, I remember once uh, when I was speaking to someone, you know, I asked him, what, what is the best advice you, you ever given or you will give on time? He said, just be selfish. Yeah. Right? So that's where I, I, I was coming from. Like, whether it is your, your day or whether it is your, your priorities in terms of the things you want to achieve in the rest of your time. Yeah, I think priorities and focus does come about. Um, I think the kind of businesses that you run with the quality of people that you work with, that can, you may think you may have a best laid plan, but about, I think the discipline for me is at least that that two to three to four hours a day, between two and four hours a Mm -hmm. day that I need to have of my own, that allows me to introspect, that allows me to plan, that allows me to pre-plan, that allows me to introspect enough to be able to figure out and strategize in the broad or narrow and validate some of the things that could have bothered me during that day or that week. And how important is that in the whole scheme of things? That's an evolution process. I don't think I did that at the time that you're referring to when I was in my 20s. But I definitely started doing that, uh, you know, 10 years into building a business for sure. What do you do in those three, four hours? In those three, four... Where, where you're contemplating this? Are you, you doing something else? No, I, you, you could be walking. Yeah. You could be doing anything, absolutely anything from that perspective. But you need that undisturbed time, that uncluttered time, that undivided time where you're not fully accessible to a lot of people and you're not distracted. And I think when I started my career, we didn't have those obsessive dis- distractions that we do have now with yeah. all the electronic gadgets yeah. that we get hooked on to. But... You need to have that kind of a priority because that, I think, just calibrates everything in a very different manner. And it, mm. it works wonders. At mm. least for me, it does. Because frankly, it, it sort of makes some of the things that you get very obsessed about actually look with, uh, at a distant in many ways. And there are a couple of things that I think needed a lot more priority. Right. And then if you've got team members that you can bank on, only mm. then can all of this, because otherwise you can carry on thinking about everything you want to think through. But if you don't yeah. have, the main point is, do you have great caliber people at various levels in the various things that you're doing. So if you're doing a lot of diverse situations, you need a lot of diverse Mm -hmm. talent that's working with you, not for you. And I think the only thing I would differentiate is that I've called people colleagues, not employees my whole life. 
uh, and I don't mean that in a facetious way. It's just that's just genuinely how I felt because I've looked at them as like we're working together, we're working together as peers in that thought. And I think whatever organization that I've built, I've kept it as less hierarchical as possible. In fact, uh, just taking off from that, a lot of your co-founders have also been, you know, friends of people you've been you've been working with, right? And finding a co-founder in itself is a uh, is a very complex process, right? For for many, yeah. In many senses, it's, it's, it's almost as complex as finding a life partner, right? Yeah. You got to, uh, and there are many aspects to this. One, of course, is, is the aptitude of it. And I, I'm assuming the other aspect is how he or she complements you yeah. as, a, as a founder. Yeah. And then there might be some personal traits in this as well, right? Sure. How do you go about figuring this out? So At I what think point do you Firstly, know? you mentioned yeah. the word friends. Now, I need to be quite cut and dry about that thought process uh, where I think the two get mixed up. So... I don't think we've started, I've started with anything on a co-founder basis. I think when you're looking at co-founders, I'm not saying it's a completely transactional relationship because you need to be intertwined in other people's and be a lot more empathetic, but I wouldn't call them friends. And I think that's a starting point because I think that's a flaw. Uh, That doesn't mean that you could have been college friends and roommates for six years and now you become co-founders. So that's a baggage that you would have, or that's a good baggage that you Mm. might have only because you know the people. But as people grow, actually, sometimes that can be a big liability because then you're taking things for granted based on, but we went through so much together, but that was a different time. Right. And you, this is how you were at that time, but that was a different time. And, you know, different priorities change as much as you step out of college, get into a work life, other priorities change, you form a family. So I think the friend word and co-founders doesn't go together. And I think for me, most of the times it's been people who've come in as team members mm-hmm. and then grown into co-founders. Maybe of recent when I've started some of the businesses that are a very different stage in age in my life. I've picked it because I couldn't start a business on my own because I didn't wish to be the CEO of a business ever. Right. So then I've looked at it as a co-founder relationship in a very different manner. But when I started off, it was much more people who came in, worked as colleagues, but then I felt... I'd be much happier and wanted to them to have a higher sense of belonging and they came in as co-founders over a period of time. So I think that's what it is. There's been no prerequisite. For you, has it mostly been an intuitive decision or, or has it been a very... No, no, I don't think a co-founder should be an intuitive decision. I think finally you have to go with your gut, but that gut has to be a very evolved process. Um, so it can't be intuitive. No, no. Another thing that, that uh, I also picked up uh, mostly from the book and, and from your own podcast is uh, a lot of stuff that you've started, you've founded, uh, have all come from an outsider's perspective, right? Even going back to uh, the rock concert or going back yeah. to the toothbrush industry or even sports for that matter. Yep. Right? I mean, you, you mentioned in, in your show that you don't really play yep. sports, yep. right? Um, yeah, but that's the first question they always ask me. So, you know, are these the sports you played? What's your passion about sport? And I'm saying, right. yeah, to just be disruptive about that and not necessarily, no, I haven't played football and I've definitely not played kabaddi and I've not played volleyball. Right. Is that something that you would recommend as, you know, to someone who's starting up that if you have to pick something that you're not involved in yourself, then no, you get that perspective? I wouldn't recommend that. Right. It'll depend on, see, to me, the, it, it it's the excitement of what I want to do with the sport. If I want to be disruptive and what I think we can do with that, that's how that's why I'm enjoying the sport. Because to me, working with talent at a very raw stage, spotting talent and helping them grow is a is a is a fantastic challenge. I've done that in my media days for a long period of time. Taking something and seeing how one can take it to a different level based on a few tweaks here and there, those are the things that have been fun for me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how one has gone about it. And but I wouldn't recommend that. If you, the less core competence you have or domain knowledge you have, then it's right. better for you. No, 
because I think the domain knowledge that I'm bringing to what I want to do in sports or I want to do in education now today is of a different nature. Right. But it certainly has helped from a perspective. Yes. But it uh, also standpoint. helps because of the simple reason that you don't come with preconceived notions. Mm. And that's a big advantage if you can start with that. Mm. I want to move on, you know, to, uh, to your cinema, per se. You know, the film that you've been associated with is almost a filmography of a, of a generation, right? But there's something that's always struck me about it, uh, whether it is UTV or, or, or RSVP, right from Laksha or Swades to even small films like Harishchandrasi Factory or uh, even a very, very tiny Tamil film called Moran, all of these things. They all seem to have a common thread, right? But it's, it's, I thought about it a lot. I've never been able to put a finger on it. So I'm assuming that that common thread is, is, is you and your... I think it's storytelling also uh, in that sense. I think one has gone with the story. A lot of things that people look at in cinema has a high entertainment quotient. Mm. Then there's a high star quotient. And then there's a high what you call project quotient, you know, where the right combination with the right thing and somebody coming in at the right moment. So the combination of the cast with a theme which is... Family and entertainment put together, and then you feel that's the the basic requirement. Now, I'm not good at that. Mm. I'd be completely falling flat my face. I don't have the relationships that the industry works with for everyone to feel, you know, I can call on somebody and say, let's do this together. So having none of those, and as you earlier said, being the outsider, at the core, you have to peg on to the story that you want to do. So I think that's really the... And I think one has gone with the stories that has appealed to me, Right. Coupled with my sense of what I think the consumer and, uh, wants from time to time. And then most times when I've got that right, it's come right. When it's not, I know when I'm walking into a, right. a sort of a bad one where, wow, I got carried away and this is not going to work. But when you say appeals to you, you mean you, the, the audience? Me the, me, the consumer. Absolutely. If I don't put myself in that position and if I say this, I want to see as I want to be the, this thing, then, then again, then, then it's like what I'm doing in sport, right? It's not, right. it's not that passion that I'm a footballer and this is how I want to play it. And I think part of my ability to be able to strike a chord in some of the things where I've been the outsider mm. is that I've genuinely been the outsider. Like, for example, when it comes to feature films, if I ever decided I want to be a director then I'd lose all aspects of everything else that I want to do because then it'd be a very narrow vertical in which it would be just that project. I would never be able to look at it from that from the worldview that I look at it. So right. I think those are hard choices that I've taken with whatever I wanted to do. I want to be as close to the creativity, but not so close that mm. I'm the only one from that perspective. And I think the ability for us to build a studio model was because I was not a director, which means everyone else would look at me with a threat, but a much more value adder, a much more catalyst and a much more creative person. So in that case, then if I were to ask you, um, but, but I'm sure at, at some level, you, the audience has shaped all of these decisions, like you said. But it also requires a lot of bold and gutsy steps. Right. Uh, so I think that we should not discount the fact that they may have looked great, at, but at that stage, they were highly risky. So it was a question of putting your money where your mouth is and hoping that six out of 10 times you will succeed. When you say highly risky, do you mean, like what would it take, for example? And you, you spoke about risk at length. No, but highly risky means if it's yeah. not a formula hmm. and if it's not already padded, where even on the way down, if it's, uh, it won't fall flat on its face because it's got some sense of cast or it's got five songs or whatever else. If, if it's not any of those, then it is a higher risk because it's binary. Either somebody's going to put a complete thumbs down or a complete mm. thumbs up. There's no thumb sideways. From, from a precedent perspective. Yes. Right, right. What is the cinema that has shaped you over the years? To be honest, I think from the time one started looking at the movie, uh, especially in the Hindi movie part, right. 
I didn't come with that pedigree and that thing where I grew up with some of the yesteryears and the movies and that inspired me and that did that. I right. think it started from the fact that I wanted to be in the media and entertainment business. For me, I needed to build a brand and a consumer and therefore movies needed to be part of what was my vision as far as UTV is concerned. And it came with that strong grounding that now I need to figure out what are the stories I would like to tell. So I didn't have that good baggage, which a lot of people do. So sometimes when we have the conversation, people talk about movies of 50 years back. Right. I know that they didn't inspire me, but I know that I can see why everyone's relating to the reference to context of those ones. But what did you grow up watching and, and loving? At that stage, as a good uh, Parsi, I think I was watching more English cinema than, in the, <laughs> than Indian cinema at that particular stage, even though that was a rare commodity. Right. But the sort of fortuitous plot of it was... I used to stay at Grand Road right next to a cinema called Novelty Cinema. Uh, and I knew the the owners very well and uh, very friendly with the two daughters. So basically, I had a entry and exit pass to anywhere and whatever I wanted to do. So I think the only one I would say, that's when my fate with Hindi cinema came about because I could go anytime, anywhere and walk in past the interval. There was always those four owner seats which I had an access to. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And sometimes I would say I watched a movie. I have no idea why, but at least eight times also. But that was more because of the company, maybe more than the movie. <laughs> Anything that stayed with you as a as, as a film from those years? Uh, yeah, I think that time I remember because the premieres, there was the, the the Jitendra and Rajesh Khanna era, whatever else. And there was a movie called Savan Bhado, which I remember seeing about nine times. Wow! But again, as I said, it was part of the company that I was going there. But for better or for worse, that was what it was. <laughs> I was listening to the, uh, the part uh, in your show about that Grand Road residence, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the row of rooms and then that one common bathroom. To me, it came across from your book and from your show as, 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 as a kid who wanted to do many things and had many different ideas at, at any given point in time, right? If you had to go back to, to that boy in the Grand Road residence and reassure him of, of one thing, that now that you have the knowledge of it, what, what would it be? Yeah, I think it would be a clear-cut reassurance, which is a reassurance for anybody else, that you don't have to have been born with a silver spoon. I think the context of first-generation entrepreneurs here in India is still very rare, and that's why we don't step out into that outing. And not one of those things that if you can dream it, it'll happen. I don't think it works that way because there's a lot in between that can go wrong and does go wrong, absolutely does go wrong. But um, I think if you have that conviction in yourself hmm. and that confidence in yourself, that's the one that, that's the best piggy bank you can have than anything else. Otherwise, uh, and it's, it's not easy. Right. But, you know, you could be running a family business and that may not be easy because you might be going through 75% of your life not happy with what you're doing but wanting to, having to do it also. That may not be an easy one. So different people have different challenges and I don't think that's any less difficult to go through something which you don't want to go through versus the struggles that you go through when you're starting up fresh. Is there anything that you used to worry about then, you know, as a as an up and coming entrepreneur and around the time, you know, you you, you did the, the the concert and all of that, that you know now was completely unfounded? Um, I'm sure a lot you of know, entrepreneurs go through The good part about phase, being right? young is actually that's when you're really bindas. And I think part of what got me on those early days is that I had nothing to lose. So when you have nothing to lose, it kind of liberates you and empowers you in a very different manner. Right. Okay, when I started with nothing, and I'm, worst case, I'll start back with nothing, and then I'll see where that has to go. 
you know, it's actually when you start climbing and taking more responsibilities and having many more people and then you raise more capital and then you got a certain scale and you made commitments to people, that's when you start getting more. So I think the early days, it was fun because it was risky. It was edgy. One didn't know the circumstances, the binary office. If you lost 50,000 rupees and you didn't have even five in your bank, how are you going to pay the 45? So technically you were bankrupt. Hmm. But it doesn't strike you as bankruptcy as much as when it strikes you when you're 4,500 crores out of uh, unable to pay and be able to. But the 45,000 is as bad as the 4,500 crores. But it's just a different kind of a feeling at that particular point in time. So I have to say in my younger days, what got me through, given that that was not my pedigree, I didn't come a family from that, was what have I got to lose? And I have to say that even today, when I look at things, even in my second innings today, I want to actually relive those situations where I can do things where if I say no, I've got nothing to lose. And I don't have any deep sense of regret on that. And if, you can, if I can get that sort of boyishness back into some of the things that I'm doing right now, I'm quite cognizant of that. Right. And, and you're able to make those mistakes now again uh, and, and then laugh about Absolutely. it. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. Not always laugh about it, sometimes right. smile about it, but whatever. <laughs> uh, you're now uh, uh, running, uh, launching the audio book as well. Yeah. And I found one thing very unique in it. Not all authors who are who go on to do the audiobook actually do it themselves in their own voice. Any particular reason why you chose that? Well, two reasons. One is uh, the book of mine is conversational in its sense, and it's a very first-person grammar. So a first-person grammar talking about it with a third person reading it in a different articulate sense didn't make sense. And therefore, to me, I felt that, that I wrote the book like I would talk about it, and therefore I wanted to talk about it. That was one part. The second, of course, none of this would be valid if it wasn't for the second part, which is, I think I grew up with theater and, and I grew up uh, in a manner in which I felt I can articulate. So since I can, many people of us are right, we may have that, but we don't have that sense of articulation of being able to state it and talk about it as much as I've written it. Most people have a strength that is very great in writing. Some of them are right. very great in talking, but not in writing. But since I've written it, it's easy for me to talk about it. You're one of those founders who started in theater doing Shakespeare and Death of a Salesman and that sort of stuff. Uh, but you've always been consistent and then you spend time in front of the camera a lot, right? You've always been a great communicator yourself, right? Uh, how important has that been in your entrepreneurial For career? me, it's been very important. Right. For me, it's been very important. It's actually, you know, when, the, when, the, when, when, when all else is falling around that, sometimes that's the only tool you have is your ability to communicate. Now, that doesn't mean right. your ability to bullshit, but your ability to communicate, which is slightly different. Right. And I think, yeah, it's a massive, massive, massive asset. And I think today, we're, you know, I'm in the education business with Upgrad. Mm. And I think one of the first things in the soft skills when we talk to some of our students is, look, you're learning this and you're learning, you're specializing and it could be in blockchain, it could be in artificial intelligence, it could be very heavy duty. But are you also a good communicator? Because mm. otherwise, you may have all this knowledge, but it'll be there. And somebody else who's a better communicator, but a little less knowledgeable, but you're not a complete duffer, but a little less knowledgeable you, he's going to get further because of the simple ability that that's having a voice on the table, being interactive is now much more in need than ever before. So for me, I think it's been communication has been quite the be all and end all of many things. Um, and then talking of that, um, you know, for, for those of us, and I think it's relevant to, to close with this, you know, in, in the podcast. Uh, because for those of us who are outside, it seems like audio as a medium um, is sort of making a comeback. Right? Um, when I say making a comeback, I mean with the rich history of radio that this country yeah. has had, etc. Yeah. Right? 
from your vantage point, you know, both as a, as a communications legend and as well as an investor, do, do you see that happening in, in, in India especially? Yeah, I mean, I think as a habit it is. How do you commercialize it is another challenge altogether. But as a habit, it definitely is. Because you're using mobility and you're spending a lot more time either commuting or traveling. And therefore, at that stage... Having this, see, I think we've gone into a multitasking world. So in a multitasking world, having a headphone on and listening to something while you're doing one more thing is a major tick in multitasking. And I think that's one of the reasons that also has propelled this, that I can drive and do this. I can, you know, I could be flying and doing this. I could be doing a little bit of checking up on my mail, but I could be also listening to this because I'll always catch the few words because when I'm reading, I can't speed read as much as I can speed here. Right. So to each one, it's a different one. So I think, yeah. yes, as a, depending uh, based on our changing lifestyles, uh, it's an, it's an incre- it's a, it's a good multitasker. Right. right. Thank you so much. It's Thank been an absolute you. pleasure to have you on the Lovely. show. Thank you. Thank you. Great. So that was our show. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app or ivmpodcasts.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IVM podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I am the underscore Karthik. That's Karthik with an H on Twitter and filter underscore coffee. That's coffee with a K on Instagram. Instagram.